This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This show is sponsored by Empower Your Reality. Empower Your Reality is an online consciousness school that is designed to help you elevate the mind, raise your consciousness, your vibration, to attract and create the reality of what it is that you desire. On Empower, at Empower Your Reality, we have books, we have online classes, you can find the podcast here on there, and other things that can help you elevate and truly learn the art and the science of creating the reality of what it is that you want to experience in your life. So for more information to check out all that we're up to and what we're doing, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome. This is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. Excited to have you on as each Friday we share some interview that we have with a wonderful guest to share their knowledge, the wisdom, to share level us up, to help us share the infinite possibilities when it comes to the mind, life, this game called life, and so much more. This week, I had the distinct honor and pleasure of interviewing Krister, who is a leadership communication expert, keynote speaker, and the former CEO of a global 
tech company. Prior to exiting corporate life at the age of 42, Krista was the CEO of one of the largest family-owned software companies in the world. In April 2021, the largest, most sophisticated book marketing campaign ever attempted will be unleashed upon the world. The goal to become the first ever Wall Street Journal number one bestseller from an unknown self-published first-time author. After retiring at the age of 42 as the CEO of one of the largest family-owned software companies in the world, Krista has made it his life's mission to change the words of the, of the world. As he spent five years writing and editing 22 talk shifts, Christopher frequently asked, what if books were more like software, constantly evolving based upon customer feedback? 22 Talk Shifts is the first ever book that continuously updates like software. 22 Talk Shifts is a book about leadership and relationships, which has made it the first category cross-bestselling of the COVID age. We had a great time discussing Talk Shifts the whole concept of it, how it can apply to your life, and so much more. So I'm not going to take any more thunder away from Krister, but here is Krister Ungerbach. Krister, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to have you on. I've, done your, I've been doing my own due diligence, researching, seeing what you're up to, what you're doing, and you've got a lot going on. Uh, you were just sharing before we came on, number one Wall Street bestseller, top over Oprah. That is just awesome, man. Uh, so you're doing some great things. Um, excited to have you here, and and uh, I want to dive right in. So let let's get started here. What? How did you get into what you're doing today? Like, what's your story? What was your journey uh, to be doing the things you're doing and be so passionate about what you're doing? Yeah. So I was previously CEO of one of the largest family-owned software companies in the world. Which, uh, given that this episode's not going to air for another couple months, I can share that I was actually fortunate that we just uh, sold a large portion of that company to private equity, uh, which I'll get to. Well, how that is going to help me help listeners in the future. But so five years ago, uh, I walked out on the job of this CEO job of this company that I helped build and loved. And two weeks later, my wife walked out on me. And so I had no one. And I was going to sign up for a gym membership. I was like 50 or 60 pounds overweight. I was at the YMCA. And I broke down crying when the woman asked me, who's your emergency contact? And I had no one. And I had started reading business books and communication books when I was 12 years old. I mean, I read, I, I don't, hundreds, thousands probably, thousands of books about communication, relationships, business, leadership. And there it was, and I looked in the mirror and I saw the leader that I had become a leader with no followers. And I, I kind of said to myself, like, I, I need to, maybe I've been looking in the wrong places. And so I kind of set aside all the kind of books and business books, things that I had read for 30 years, ultimately. And I, I looked, uh, I just kind of surrounded myself with a kind of new age thinkers, people that I would have judged as far out, like nothing was too weird. But my whole sense was that my whole, my whole filter was how can I kind of take the ideas out of this world that was so foreign to me and translate them into things that, you know, someone like a Midwestern person like me can still be like, okay, all right, you know, you know, take the word universe out and like, you know, like, you know your inner child, all these things like, you know, and so that was really my thing. And what, what I found in the whole journey, I spent three or four years basically surrounding myself with all these people. What I found in the whole journey is we sometimes, we often think that in order to change our relationships or change our leadership, we need to change people. But what I found is it actually is just as simple as changing our words. And, and like, and so this book that I wrote, 22 Talk Shifts, uh, we rewrote it and rewrote it five times over the last of the five years. And ultimately, it came out almost at the perfect time with COVID. And, uh, and I'm just so thankful because I don't think this book would have been it had a shot at being the even on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, let alone number one, if, uh, if it had been before COVID. Because I think that this past year, 
has, uh, I mean, it's really, it's really taken where uh, I interviewed, I interviewed a guy who's actually renovating my house. I asked him to read the book and I brought a video crew in. He's like in his sixties. And he said it back. He's like, in COVID, like it, our communication, it's becoming really clear the problems because we're actually community, we're, we're at home all the time. And by the time this episode airs, we hopefully we won't be at home all the time, but the, we spent a year at home all the time with our families and it's really exposed where our communication creates challenges in our relationships. And that's ultimately what I'm all about is uh, changing the words of the world, you know, using books and movies and music and a lot of different theater and things like that. I love that. And, and communication is such a huge topic for me because it's you know, a couple of different things. As a chiropractor, nobody really thinks of this sometimes. Well, the public doesn't for the most part. That's all we do is focus on communication. It's communication from the brain and the body. And in my background in energy medicine, it's one of the things where I learned over time that, wow, communication is the breakdown of all things. Mm-hmm. And miscommunication, I'm sorry. And so if we don't have proper communication, it doesn't matter what else you do. It's, it's just going to it's going to break down eventually. And, um, but the other thing you mentioned too, that I'm, I'm very passionate about is I had one person early in my life, tell me that if you change your vocabulary, you change your life. And I was like, hold up. How can that be? I understand words are vibrations. I understand this is this. I went through all this stuff and I'm going just changing my vocabulary goes, yep. Find higher vibrational words that you pay attention to what you constantly repeat and then yeah. just change the word for something of a higher vibration and watch what happens. And uh, yeah, this is, it's fascinating how it works. Yeah. As you know, already. <laughs> you said miscommunication. And this is one of the things that I've been playing with for a while. It's in one of my next books is we talk about miscommunication, misunderstanding and misinterpretation. So miscommunication is I communicated like the blame is on me and misunderstanding is like the blame is on the listener. But what I'm really seeing, and I had the opportunity to, unique opportunity to learn French and German as an adult after September 11, like when I opened businesses in France and Germany, is the real challenges is like misinterpretation, no one is to blame. So one of the things I'm playing around with some of the writing I'm doing in one of my next books is actually you can have the same syllables. Musicians do this all the time. You've ever had that song where you like realize that you've been singing the wrong lyrics for 20 years, but you're like so positive. This is exactly what they said. And so this is an example of how sometimes musicians actually purposely trick our minds. There's a song by Ed Sheeran that I talk about in the book called uh, beautiful people. And uh, he says, uh, What I thought he said, the lyrics were, everybody's looking for another comma, which is typical in the kind of millionaire space or the entrepreneur space. I'm looking for another comma. I want to go from a hundred thousand air to a millionaire or whatever, and adding another comma to my bank account, if you will. But what I realized is actually what he's really saying, what he really says is everyone's looking for a come up. But what he's doing is he's actually using those same syllables that different people hear different things. And this is fundamentally one of the things that I think that where I'm trying to bring music into the work in addition to words to help people see and understand that misinterpretation is not the fault of either the communicator or the listener. And it happens all the time. I think that that's huge. And I love how you bring that up because it's so true in so many ways. And we have the other thing, like kind of thing, we have that filter in our brain. So when you hear something, you're going to take it to reference of what's important to you or what you value or what you see as, right? Whereas like you brought the comma thing up, right? And, you know, I could see it with some friends who are in that kind of space who are like, yeah, I'm trying to get to this next level. I'm trying to get to the next zero, the next comma. 
they would hear that. And then you hear someone else be like, no, I heard this because that's what's important to them or what's in their world and trying to, you know, mesh those two and understand. So I liked how that misinterpretation is, is, Hey, it's, um, it's no one's fault. Let's, let's just work through this to get that, to yeah. make that connection one way or another. So one of the things we did, and we, we didn't do it as much with this current book, 22 talk shifts, but in the future books we're going to do. So we have, um, obviously there's a regular printed book and there's a, an audio book, but we did a video book as well, which is a pretty new concept. Uh, certainly at the time we did it, a couple more have come out in recent months, but, um, we did that because, you know, the thing between a printed book and an audio book is we can actually, and we're going to do this even more in the coming books, where we'll actually use words that the listener of the audio book will actually hear the same thing two or three times in a row. And they actually won't know what's going on because it's only the person who's reading the printed book that will actually see how the exact same sounds are structured in different uh, actual printed words. Now, with the video book, what we actually can do is using video is we can actually Basically, what we're intending to do is create with the coming books is create a situation where someone who listens to the audiobook, reads the book, or watches the video book can walk away from certain pages, if you will, with three completely different messages because we used visuals overlaid over the actual words to trick the mind into seeing something that wasn't said, hearing something that wasn't written. And so we're really trying to use this as a metaphor for how miscommunication and misinterpretation is very real in our lives. And this happens between even my wife and I, we like write about this. We talk about this stuff all the time. We still have these things where we have conversations and she hears something completely different from what I said, or I hear something different, completely different from what she said. And so really kind of getting beneath these patterns and understanding how our mind tricks us. Uh, into thinking what some, that someone said something different is, uh, you know, that, that's kind of like the future right? because this episode is going to come out in two or three months. I'll probably be pretty deep in uh, starting to release previews of some of those books. So, Now, is there a methodology to your process you might share in like where, how do we break that barrier, right? Because I, when I was younger, I used to always say, I have my own world, you have your world. How do we blend that together and learn from one another, right? How do we how do we work our language? Even though we speak English, right? But there's that whole things that mean to me, like I always just talk about triggers. You can say a word and that'll trigger you, but that word won't trigger me, but then vice versa. There's a word that won't trigger you, but it will trigger me. Yep. Um, understanding those worlds. Is there like a process or something to, how do we break that wall to help clear the line so that we can truly understand one another? So, so, uh, so the process, yes and no. By the time this episode airs, we will have probably, we will, should have a more defined process. You know, the first book, let, let's first talk about what talk shifts are because the process overlays. So talk shifts, so they're, the, the current book that's out, uh, that's been out for, by the time this episode airs, about a year, uh, is 22 talk shifts. Each chapter has specific words, fill in the blanks, phrases, and powerful questions and exercises. So it's like, the, the premise is, you can, after reading one chapter, you can start using different words, different questions to make a, a shift in your relationships with your spouse, your team at work, your children, your adult parents, whatever it is. So ultimately, that is what a talk shift is. It is, yeah, the intention is, and it came, the reason I did it that way was it came out of a, when I learned French and opened our business in France, one of our first customers was the Palais de Festival de Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival. And so I thought, wow, you know, I had four years of French. I grew up in St. Louis. I'm going to go down to Cannes. I'm going to do all the training in French. It'll force me to speak French. 
And, you know, so I did two or three day workshop. Uh, they called the sales guy who worked for me uh, on Monday. They said, don't ever send Christopher back here ever again. His French is terrible. And so I found the best French teacher, uh, business French teacher in all of Europe, according to the European Wall Street Journal. Two weeks later, I'm in his house in Spa, Belgium. He says, Christopher, what did you say to the people in Cannes? And I tell him in my words in French, he goes, ah, <laughs> let me tell you what you just said. And so he's like, you must do this. You need to do this. You're like, this is not client service words. You know? And, so, and uh, so, I, so what I did is I laid out on a whiteboard. I was like, so let's say I was trying to say it softer, softer, more direct, more direct. More. And we like laid out like six levels of how would I say it? And this is kind of fundamentally the thing that I practice with the talk shifts. Interestingly, even though I learned that with French and I did the same exercise three years later when I uh, learned to speak German, I never practiced this in my native language, English, because English was just a habit. So when I moved back to the United States, I never changed my English words. And so what we did is with the talk shifts is like, you used to say this, here's a subtle change to sometimes just one or two words in that same question or phrase that can make a big difference in terms of creating connection and commitment in the people in your lives. And then, so that's what a talk shift is. And then I just hired someone who's a facilitator that I've worked with for many years. She's a therapist. She's, she's actually building it out into more of a process. Um, what we have right now is there's a video book, which we intended the video book to be part of the process. Most times, you, you know, usually what happens is one person in a couple or, you know, it takes two people to really truly make a shift. Um, one person can probably do 80% of it, but if the other person is engaged, that's where you can really move quickly. Um, and what happens is I found that many readers were reading the book, but they're like, ah, oh, my husband doesn't like to read, or I don't, I don't feel comfortable asking my boss to read or whatever that other person in their life that they want to start a shift with just doesn't like to read. So we create a video book. So you can actually sit down. If it's a, if it's your teenage child or your parent, you can actually sit down on the couch and watch the video book on like Netflix, you know, on a smart TV, you can watch it on your, you know, on a tablet or whatever. And there's something different that happens when two people actually experience these tools in real time together, like, and then and have conversations about it afterwards. So the process is that imagine you're watching the book together, and then we'll have like short little one or two minute exercises to say, okay, you just watched chapter five. Now ask your partner this, you know, so we're building in. So you're literally doing this around on the couch in your home, or if it's a business, you could be doing it around a conference room table or a Zoom meeting or whatever using the content of the book. And then the last thing I'll mention about the process is frequently I get on my Facebook feed, people will say either their boss or their husband, most frequently, how can I share chapter nine or chapter five? Like my boss, chapter nine, I think is about, uh, is about micromanagement. So somebody's like, can I share this with my boss anonymously? So we actually, when people get the video book, people can actually share any, any chapter in the book with anyone in their lives, even anonymously, although I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't like the passive aggressive uh, kind of nature of that, but you can actually, you know, share it with your husband, your wife, your child in, in order to get them intrigued about the possibility of actually exploring more of the book with you. I like that. I like the concept of the video book. It just takes it to a whole nother level, more enriching. Now, I do have a question about the video book, though. Do you have captions on there just in case when someone's watching, they can also like subtitles so they can or, you know, seeing things so they can watch that, too. Also, just for the verbiage point, you know, we were talking about earlier. Um, 
You know, I, that's a good point. Um, so well, we, we do have one of the thing with the video book is it does have visuals. So all of the key talk shifts do come in, you know, you, th that way you do get that visual stimulation also for memory recall, but you have a good point that uh, uploading the captions probably would be a good, uh, a good addition. I was just thinking, cause like you were, we were talking about like, you know, you listen to the book where then you read it and there's like that verbiage you're seeing and so forth. And then it's like, oh yeah, I thought it was this, but then you read the book and it's like, oh yeah, it's here. And then it was video. And in my mind, I'm going, I wonder if he does captions or something just in case. So if somebody's watching well, that, it, that, that is that it, now you like, that's a little bit of the secret sauce for the next book is that part of what we're going to be doing is sometimes the captions won't actually match the words that are being said. And that's how we'll, that's one of the, one of the many tricks that we will use but it also could be like, uh, um, there's this word, there's this, because we're using music as well. And then like, there's this song where it says like modernity has failed us, modernity, like a society has failed us. But if you imagine listening to that song or those words and the word paternity or maternity is on the screen, you could actually have where a husband and wife could be, or a man and a woman could be watching the exact same thing. And after that exact moment say, yeah, my dad failed me too. And the other one's like, my mom failed me. Like, but it's actually neither of those words were the words that were sung in the song. So again, uh, that misinterpretation uh, using art, my, I guess maybe using art to actually illustrate the point and create metaphors for people to see um, how words can change lives. I love that. Now with talk shift and the things you do, do you also focus on like specific words? I mean, we're kind of talking about words here a little bit, so I'm assuming yes, but um, where it comes to like how to shift, as I was saying earlier, life language, you know, using this word versus this word, things yeah. like that and so forth. Yeah. Maybe I'll give you a couple quick examples. Like, so I'll get some of the more, some of the examples of talk shifts are more you know, they're more sophisticated and I won't explain all the background for the ones that I will just uh, for any interest of time. But the simplest talk shift is just ask all your questions. Use the first word should be what or how. You know, we like ask our kids, did you clean your room? Or like, you know, there's bosses. Have you considered this? All these are solutions disguised as questions. And you will have very different conversations if you simply replace the first word of your questions with the word what or how which will require you to ask different questions. Like what solutions have you considered? I it's very difficult for me to actually tell you what to do by starting the question. You know, I guess you could say, how do you plan to clean your room right now? Uh, but ultimately, you know, when would you like to, you know, so th these, th this is one of the simplest examples. One of the other ones that I get the most feedback on is talk shift number five. Uh, it's on a scale of one to 10. So I, at an entrepreneur, uh, her name was, uh, Michelle, I think in Michigan, she has a small company with three or four people. It was the middle of COVID. She read the book and uh, still in quarantine. She was doing Zooms in her home because she didn't really have an office. And she had a six and eight year old or six, six or seven and eight year old child. And they're always on their iPads, like while she's doing meetings. And she said, like many times I told them, please keep quiet. And she had read this chapter uh, about the on a scale of one to 10 talk shift. And the principle is you ask a, on a scale of one to 10, um, like it could be on a scale of one to 10, how is our communication? And then we, we actually do it in, in an exaggerated way. So 10, Vic, like our communication is better than any two people on the planet. And one is, it's the worst. It's worse than anybody on the planet. So by exaggerating the edges of the scale, we actually start to open up a real dialogue compared to saying, Vic, do you think we have good communication? And like, 
really? Is there any other answer than yes to that question? And like, so we never really have the conversation. Um, and then the follow-up question is to say, well, you say seven, what's the difference between a seven and a nine? What can we start doing, stop doing to actually be a, go from a seven to a nine? So sometimes all you need to do is ask the first, the first part of the question. So she actually, her eight-year-old child, this Michelle in Michigan, eight-year-old child on the, on the laptop or the iPad, super loud. And she walks over to an eight-year-old and whispers in his ear, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being you're being as loud as a freight train and one, you're being as quiet as a mouse. And she said he just looked up at her and he turned his iPad down without saying a word. And he went across the room and he whispered into his sister's ear and she turned down her iPad too. And so like, this is one of the things that, you know, imagine how many times she, she well, she said, I've been saying that for days, weeks, months, you know? And uh, it's one of the things that while the talk shifts is, was very much written probably 60% as a business book for leaders or people in a corporate setting, the most surprising thing I find is that people are actually, most of the most powerful stories that readers share with me are actually how they're practicing it in their marriage or with their children or with their parents. I love that. And I think everything interconnects in some way, shape or form, right? There's business, like I, I can, I tell people, I share this often on my podcast when I do my own or people will ask, like I'll talk about my wife works in my office. We work together and, and we have my, in my chiropractic office. And I always share and say, the, the business enhanced our marriage. And they're always like, well, how? I said, well, one, we had to learn how to communicate better. We had to learn how to not, you know, misinterpret what we're trying to say and how to get our point across with one another when things come up and what we have to do. And I said, when we mastered that in the business, well, it, it was easily carried over into the marriage because it was just the same thing, but just a different the verbiage is different, things like that, but we took the same approaches. And then it's like, then we, we work, when we do that, it just made it a lot easier. So, so, how, I can uh, yeah. so I'm, I'm intrigued to find out that you, you do the business. So my parents work together and I, you know, I worked in a family business and I have, uh, I would say it's very rare to have someone say like the working together with my wife or husband enhanced our, I would, I would, can we bring your wife on here and see if she would validate that? Because I am not too sure that that's true. <laughs> to believe i know but because one thing we talked about one time i was like because don't get me wrong in the beginning of working together there was a lot of bumping of heads you know who has what who's taking over what you know i i'm the doctor she she runs she runs the whole office and it was figuring out our roles and as through time bumping around through that um it helped us to again you just start to learn how to communicate better in a sense of like Okay, let me ask more questions. That's because that's the one question I want to ask. Like, how much is questioning in the work of what you do? How important is that? Because for us, it was one of the things like I had to learn, hold up, let me take a step back. Don't take this personal. Let's ask questions. Let's go that route. And then in our, our, our marriage side, then it's like I kind of take the same thing where it's like, okay, let me stop being so reactive. Let me stop being triggered. Let me take a step back. Let me just ask questions so I can understand. And then we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah, I think that one of the reasons I wrote the book and I reveal this kind of like towards the end of the book that uh, is I really wrote it as a leadership book, knowing that many men, especially, uh, are more likely to read a business book than they would a book about communication and marriage. And ultimately, all these tools apply equally. Uh, I would say 17 out of the 22, 22 tools apply equally, whether it's work or, or home. And um, 
I think, I think one of the things I learned is I think family is often the canary in the coal mine. Our communication and relationships with our spouses and our children are often the canary in the coal mine for what our relationships work like at work. The fundamental difference is that at work, if you're the leader, especially the higher up in the organization you go, the less likely it is that people are actually going to tell you really what they think. Um, whereas family, like especially like teenagers, like no problem, we'll hear it, you know? So, uh, so I think that that's a great way to look at that. Like, oh, I've got great relationships at work, but eh, maybe not, you know? So in the updated version of the book, uh, I actually just, uh, one of the things that's unique about this book is, uh, as, cause I used to run a software company. I was like, why can't books be more like software? So this is one of the first ever books that is actually continuously upgraded like software. So we just did like a minor update to the book to incorporate some reader feedback. Uh, so what's, this was May. So about seven months after it was published. And one of the things that we did is we wanted to make sure that people understood the, the parallels between um, the uh, power uh, that happens when the power that affects the communication between a leader at work and their team and how it happens uh, within marriage. You know, naturally, a leader in a team can fire me, they pay me. So there's like this financial power. Um, but the, the interesting thing is in a marriage, if you do have two people, you know, if you have uh, unequal income, there's still a financial power that can cause one person in a marriage to say, hey, I can't, I, I can't really talk about how I feel here. Because like, if, if we were to get divorced, I don't know how I would support myself, right? Um, but then what many people don't realize is there's also emotional power in relationships. You know? And this is often, I think, that if you are in a traditional marriage where the man is the primary um, you know, earner, uh, I think women often don't realize that they have a lot of emotional power over men in terms of criticism and reinforcement and appreciation that can also shut men down of not being able to, uh, not being willing to talk. So we, we talk about talk shifts or really tools to help give words to those seeking their voice and courage to those seeking their volume. And, you know, I think that we really need to start talking about the words we use, the words we choose, the ones we're saying, and most importantly, the ones we aren't. Because it's the words that we aren't saying, those are typically where the kind of the, the breakdown in relationships, whether it's at work or at home, uh, takes place. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, that people, the reality is teenagers, right? They'll always, they'll say what they have to say, regardless who, who has the power, who doesn't, they don't matter. That does not matter at all to them. Um, but no, you bring up a couple of good points. And I think that is uh, a key in the essence, like, right. Most in a traditional standpoint, you know, most time the man is, or the male figure is going to be the one that brings more of the bacon, if you want to call it for the most part. But, you know, so the man has that financial, but I love the point you brought up the emotional side, right? And it's that, you know, because in my marriage, I look at it and I'm always like, honey, yes, I, I'm, I take care of all the finances and I, I make sure it's all in suit, make sure we're good. Uh, but yeah, but then you, 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 you run the rest of the show here when it comes to, you know, emotional side of things and everything else, because that's, you know, I want to make sure we're always good. You know, I, you know, I always make a statement that there's only one person I want to make most proud of and that's her. And I want to make sure that we're always in that good because men, what do we want? We want appreciation. We want respect. Those are the two biggest values that we hold on as males um, or yeah, in that aspect to um, get from our partner. And if we have that, we're usually a lot better and we're willing to do more and be able to see, help out more and do all that. And when we don't get that, that's usually when, um, we start to self-doubt and it starts to break us down a little over time. Yeah. 
I actually had an interesting conversation shortly after the book, uh, after the book launched, I, I talked to uh, a couple of, and this is an, another story we added in the update to the book. I talked to two marriage counselors who had a husband and wife team, uh, both psychologists who had done, been doing their you know, marriage counseling for 30 or 40 years. So like they've got 80 years of marriage counseling experience uh, between them. And I said, what are the words that unhappy women and unhappy men, unhappy wives and husbands have been saying on your couch for decades? And they said, he's always complaining. He cares about his work more than he cares about me. You know, like basically these four sayings, and I, they're in the book. I can't remember what the third and fourth one was. These are the exact same. I was sitting there like these are the exact same things that unhappy employees say about their bosses. It's literally so, uh, I mean, I, I remember like, yes, I, like, he's always criticizing me. He's always solving my problems for me. He cares more about the results than he cares about me. Like this is like this, many of my employees would have said that about me many years in my career. And ultimately that was the connection between leadership in the context of business and the leadership in the context of relationship. I think there's a common thread there that most people don't really believe is there, but that was one of the big parts of the book was to help people to see the common thread and how, how how there are specific tools that can be used universally in both contexts. I love that. Now, how about in relation to self in the relations with others, right? There's an old saying that goes, um, the relation you have with others is always to be in correlation to the relationship of what you have with yourself. Yeah. Talk shift, does that play a role also with the inner talks that we have with our mind and all that good stuff? So, uh, so there's there's one of the talk shifts where I kind of talk a little bit about the self-talk, um, but actually one of my next books, um, we have like three book concepts that we're launching right now. All of them are going to be worked on par in parallel, and we're going to actually release them to video so people can actually follow the books while they're being created. Uh, but one of the three book concepts is about... Uh, self-talk and how it affects and it's actually going to be i mean to the degree that you're in the health space uh the tentative title it's not a dieting book but it's called eight eat shifts transform your relationship with family foes and food forever using talk shifts and it is ultimately my own kind of journey like i was overweight and like i'm still kind of working through that but uh it's ultimately what i've learned i mean i have all the tools i even did like a six-week stint at fat camp like 15 years ago one of these like you know two thousand dollar a week places where you learn everything about eating and whatever so i have all the intellectual tools um but what's still uh what still is holding me back is purely the self-talk and the the triggers that kind of triggers and self-talk are all really tied together so Ultimately, this book is not a weight loss book. It's a mindset book, but it's about the self-talk that we use. And, and I, have a, I have a therapist who comes from a unique, uh, a somewhat unique style of therapy uh, that helps people to identify the self-talk that they have within them. So she's going to be a, a co-author or collaborator on this book. Um, so uh, it, it, I'm pretty excited about that one. So that's gonna be a good one. I think, you know, when it comes to that, the, I mean, everything starts and ends in the mind, right? So even as being in the health world, I always tell people, like in chiropractic, we say, you know, 80% um, of the reason why your nervous system gets overstimulated is because of your mental emotional component of life. And so wherever that state of being is, where you're standing more into when you overstimulate you when you get into those negative emotions, like anger, frustration, or the anxiety and worries and things like that. There's, there's only a certain point where your body and your nervous system can handle. Once it breaks that threshold, 
boom, now all of a sudden body starts to go into survival mode, neurologically speaking. Yeah. And so it's, it's one of the things where in every element of life, even with weight loss, I've, I used to, I have a little something I do in uh, a program once in a while I'll do for my patients. And in the curriculum, I always tell them there's a whole week section on just the mindset relating to weight loss. And I share a story of how I just shifted my mindset and just said, this is what I'm going to see myself as, and this is how I'm going to do this. And this is how I'm going to perceive myself. A little bit of some shift talking going on there, right? changing the way I'm talking to myself too, and our critic stuff. But I was like, and I've done this over and over in time. And I've done it with other people where the weight would just shut off because again, coming from the mindset, seeing in that realm, yeah. all of a sudden, everything else I did was start to shift with that. That's, excuse me, I think that's a, a great concept to get to. And I think that's going to help change a lot and help people with that. So I agree. I mean, like one of the things I'm talking, uh, thinking about, so there's, there's a couple of things, like, you know, because language is a big part. Um, it's interesting in German, the word for if in German is then. And so like, you know, I think there's that if and when thinking like, oh, if I was in shape versus saying when I was in shape. Uh, so, or when I am, so I think that there's this, I have been playing around with self-talk, like there's this, I will do, there's a self-talk that says, I will do this. And then there's this thing that's been around for a while, the old affirmation standing from the guy, I am this, the challenge is usually we don't really believe it. Right. Um, and what I'm also playing around is actually with maybe, uh, I, and this kind of ties in with some of the other exercises and thing is, Rather than saying I am thin or whatever you whatever that fill in the blank is of what you want to be, I think I my sense is it's more powerful to say you are. And I think there's also a thing we're playing around with uh, about even putting it in the past tense, um, because there's an element of like if I'm if I'm telling you a story like in the past tense, but I clearly am not there. Like now there's this increased cognitive dissonance of wait hold on that story's not true. So I need to make it true. And um, it kind of ties in with a story. When I was uh, 19 years old, I said my life mission is to like live my life as if someone would write a book about it one day. And it wasn't necessarily, but it wasn't necessarily that I really wanted someone to write a book about my life. It was really about a life philosophy of living your life as if you're writing the story of your life with every day that you live, right? And so when we almost write the story, there were times in some of the hardest times of my life in my divorce and all these things where, you know, very difficult time, like around that YMCA moment that I said, um, what's the story that I want to tell my children 20 years from now about this moment. And when I started living each day saying, you know, Hey, am I going to do something mean and terrible to my, you know, what, who's going to be my future ex-wife? Am I going to do something? I said, what's the story that I want to tell my children about this 20 years from now? And ultimately, I actually sat down with my wife while the marriage was breaking. I mean, we weren't divorced yet. And we were still theoretically maybe working on our marriage. And I think that it shifted her behavior as well. Because I said, you know, I said, here's what's going to guide my actions over the coming months, whether we get divorced or we stay married, is that what's the story we're going to tell our children 20 years ago, 20 years in the future about these days. And ultimately, I am... Uh, I think that those words had a big impact because my now former wife, um, she behaved in a way through that process that she was proud of herself, of how she, and so we had fundamentally like uh, 
my divorce is probably one of the things that I'm most proud of. Um, and you know, to think that I'm proud of a divorce, it wasn't, it wasn't a divorce that I asked for. So I was, I was naturally the one who was probably more likely to be angry and hold on to that anger for years and kind of, uh, you know, and retaliate. Um, but it was that kind of thought of what's the story you want to tell people about your life 20 years from now. Um, and you want it to be an inspiring story and that, that changes the way we live from day to day. It's, it's amazing when you just do something like that. I, I, I do some practices with that and it, it like, how do you want to be, you know, what's like to some people, there's the old adage of what's your eulogy and are you living to the eulogy of what you want to be said about you? Right. And I love that concept. What are you going to, what's the story we're going, to, we're going to be telling our kids 20 years from now about this or that. And I think it puts it in perspective in a framework in mind to say, Hey, what we're doing here, this is, this is leaving a mark. We can't change. I think it just puts that reality and it kind of a reality check or a gut check. I like to call it to where it's like, okay, let me be a little bit more mindful here before I make decisions and do something rather than leading that, that impulse, right? That, that this is why I want to be, I feel this way right now. This is what I need to do rather than hold on. Let me take a step back. Yeah. Right. And I love how you said, you know, the, the divorce was, you know, it, 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 as much as you didn't want that, but look what it, it showed and taught you and brought to you the, the experience from that and what it has given you. And I remember, like, I don't know, I assume I'm whatever, 60% of people get divorced. So I assume a certain percent of your listeners either have experienced that or will. And one of the proudest moments was probably like two, three years after it, you know, probably four years after it happened, the divorce was done is, you know, my kids were 10, 11 years old, sitting in the back seat of the car, you know, driving and they were talking with, their friends and you know as parents we sit in the front we hear our kids talking they don't realize that we kind of actually you know are kind of listening because we don't have anything else to do other than like look at the road and my daughter was with uh, one of her friends one of her friends was also a child of divorced parents who didn't have a great uh relationship and my daughter said and i like almost like kind of teared up she said you know but my parents aren't that way they actually have a pretty good relationship and that was like the for her to actually like be able to almost be proud um of like hey look at my parents what they did they're just not like the other divorced couples um that really kind of brought it home that uh and ultimately it pays dividends in the fact that they're um despite divorce you know much more emotionally adjusted less triggered by things in their lives um, than certainly other children who, uh, who are children of divorce. And that, that's awesome to hear. I mean, that's kudos to you guys for that and, and sh shifting, right. Changing the things around to look at that from that perspective. And I, I love how you said pays dividends in the end. And that's, the, I think that's the biggest key out of it all is that the most is it paying dividends at the end. Um, before we wrap things up, I know you have a lot to share on the essence of how can people connect with you, all the work you're doing, how can they follow you, get access to the book and all the other things that you're doing? Um, how do they find you? Well, the doorway to kind of really interact with the content is uh, thetalkshift.com. Um, and uh, if you're interested in the video book, if you're kind of a book reader, if you buy the book, then it'll ask you in the next step, would you like to add the video book? Uh, but if you just are not a book reader and you just like to dive directly into the video book, you can go to talkshift.com slash TV. Um, or you can't, it is not really the cheapest way to do it. There's more, there's better deals on the website, but you can just download the, um, there's an Apple TV app, 
uh, Fire TV, Roku, iOS. Basically, it's available on any platform that you can stream video. Uh, it's called TalkShift TV, the app. Love it. I'll have that all in the show notes. Um, Krista, this was awesome. I appreciate you with the work you're doing with the talk shifts. As I said earlier, I think it's huge and monumental and you taking time to share your story and space with the listeners. Um, I love the work you're doing. Can't wait to hear more about the new stuff coming out and, uh, I look forward to continue massive success for you and all that you're doing. Thank you very much. I appreciate the conversation. And thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.